Welcome everyone, so good to have all of you at all of our churches, Bluntstown, Chipley, and Mariana, as we are in the third part of our series entitled, Tis the Season, and um, one of the things that I'm always excited about on the fourth Sunday of the month, so before we jump into this part of our conversation today, on the fourth Sunday of the month, we go above and beyond our normal giving to show our communities that we are for them. And, and we call that our $4 for Others Sunday. And remember, when we talk about the giving part on our $4 for Sunday, for other Sunday. Um, it's not that we give large amounts of money, but that all of us are coming together, 100% of us are coming together to bless our communities. So this month, you may be wondering, how are we going to bless our communities um, uh, this month? So the families who have foster children in their homes and the foster kids are going to be the ones that we bless with what you give to $4 for others today. So your $4 is going to go toward lifting families who have foster children in their homes with a special holiday experience. And you go, what do you mean by a special holiday experience? Well, it's an experience like going out to eat out without having to worry how they're going to pay for that, or maybe going to a movie together, because you know that buying popcorn and those kind of things cost more than the movies do, right? Or maybe it's just going to a grocery store and buying some supplies that could create a special night for the family during this holiday season. So we want to be able to create a special family experience for all the families in our home and homes in our communities in Calhoun County, Jackson County, and Washington County who take in foster children and bless them. But also, one other way that you can bless them is a way that you can serve during this week is in our lobbies as you leave, you can choose a gingerbread tag, which will give you the opportunity to purchase a gift for a foster child as well. So we have been given over 200 gingerbread tags from children from Calhoun, Washington, and, and uh, Jackson County. And I just want to tell you, it is a great opportunity for us as a church to be four children that can use all the African Affirmation or love that they can get during the holiday season. So let me just go ahead and tell you how you can be part of this. There was an envelope on your chair when you came in the auditorium today, and you can put the money in the envelope and drop it in the giving boxes on your way out today, or you can scan that QR code on the envelope and you can give right through our app. And I would encourage you to go ahead and do that right now, but also I'll try to remind you as well at the end of the service to stop by in our lobbies uh, where you can pick up some gingerbread tags for children if God so leads you to do that as well. So I just want to say thank you so much for being a church that is for the people in our community who are underserved, the people who are blessing people who are underserved. So thank you, especially this month, for being for families who are providing love and care for foster children in our communities. Now, time to grab those talk notes, uh, get your Bibles out, and let's go ahead and jump into our third part and the last part of our conversation entitled, Tis the Season. And as, as we've said each week, and especially if you're a first-time guest in any of our churches today, uh, this conversation, it might stir some discomfort in, in some of us uh, because it's a topic that's often kind of tiptoed around in church world and at times with good reason because we are talking about money in this series. Now, let me just go ahead and say, if talking about money in church makes you uncomfortable, I get it because I know that many of you, or possibly some of you, you've had some really bad experiences with preachers and money in the past. I've heard some horror stories of people's experience with money and churches, and so I can understand your fear about talking about this in church. So here's what I want to say. Whether you're with us today for the very first time, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, let me just go ahead and put your mind at ease right from the start. This isn't a 
way to guilt you into giving money to the church. I mean, you can go ahead and take a deep breath. You can just relax. That is not the intention of this three-week sermon series. So we have been talking about at the beginning, so we all understand of every sermon in this series, like what is our motivation for talking about money in this season? Well, this series is really designed to help us be aware of what money is doing to us personally, what it's doing to us relationally, and more importantly, what it's doing to us spiritually. Because what we want to do is, and, and we've been working on this over the past th- two weeks, is we want to help you identify four attitudes about money that control your mind, they live in your heart, and they impact your life and your relationships, especially your relationship with God. Because here's what I know. This is not just the season where we celebrated Thanksgiving on Thursday and we're going to celebrate Christmas in a few weeks. No, this is the season for spending. Because as I've shared with you each week, the U.S. sales prediction for how much Americans are going to spend in this holiday season is greater than ever. They're estimating that we're going to spend somewhere around $221 billion dollars. Don't miss that, $221 billion. And if you read anything about Black Friday sales, I mean, it topped any other Black Friday that's ever been. And 79% of the purchases that were online were done from a mobile device. So this is the season when many of us are gonna spend more than we should because it's right there at our fingertips and it's more impulsive and we're gonna justify it by being generous. It's the season when because it's at our fingertips that we're gonna be more careless with our spending and we're gonna rationalize it by being loving. And it's the season where we now have the technology that we can easily be impulsive under the guise of being virtuous. So the challenge for us is that we stop and we discover what these attitudes that are so hard to see in ourselves are really doing to us. In fact, most of you, you have no idea that they're creating a problem for you, and and especially not just even in this buying season, but also in every season of your life, because here's why. These four attitudes, they hide in our justifications and our rationalizations. They're always camouflaging themselves, but especially so in the holiday season. And so we want to make sure that you don't get to January and find yourself in even a greater financial bind than maybe what some of you are in right now. So to get us started in today's conversation, let me ask you a question. Do you know what a oxymoron is. And that's not the person sitting beside you, by the way, okay? It's not a definition of them. Uh, do you know what an oxymoron is? Well, just for clarification, it is combined terms that contradict each other. For, for example, jumbo shrimp. I, you ever thought about that when you order jumbo shrimp? Or plastic silverware. I, I mean, you like getting around the table at Thanksgiving, hey, we're gonna use plastic silverware today, right? Really? Is that a thing? Um, working vacation. I've always wondered about that. Someone's how I'm taking me a working vacation. Is there any such thing as a working vacation? Or organized chaos. That's how some of you describe your life. Like if it's chaos, it's chaos. Now, the, these are kind of the humorous ones, right? And there's more that we can use, but these are humorous ones. But here's one that's not. And that is generous Christians. And some of you go, really? See, you may not know this, but here's the reality. The average American gives 2.5% of their income annually. 
Now, that's not really surprising to me. Because if I wasn't a follower of Jesus Christ and I felt like that I earned and owned everything that I had and didn't, was not informed of the value system of Jesus when it comes to managing his resources, I would probably exactly do the same thing. I, I would take care of myself first and, and give from what was left over. But the more troubling statistic to me is the statistic that I'm about to put on here. Because see, here's the reality. While the average American gives 2.5% of their income, the average Christian gives 2.5% of their income annually. There's no difference between a follower of Jesus and someone who is not a follower of Jesus. And just to give you some context, guess what percentage the average Christian gave during the great Depression. The average Christian gave 3.3% during the Great Depression. Think about that. They gave a greater percentage during the worst economic time in the last 100 years than what we do right now in one of the most blessed times. So let that sink in just a little bit. But what might also surprise you is that only 5% of church members give regularly. And you might be sitting there going, oh, that's, that's probably different for RCC. No, it's not really. About 5 to 10% of the people give 90 to 95% of all the resources of RCC. Now, if you wonder where I'm going with all of this, let me go ahead and put you at ease. We're not going to pass the offering bucket at the end. But today, I want you to consider why these statistics that I gave you are true. Why statistically so many of us fall into this category? Because here's what I guess. And I know this from having conversations, from having pastored this church for 30 years. I mean, most of us want to be generous people. We want other people to see us as generous people. So statistically, why is that not true for a majority of us? Now, as I said, this is the third and final week in this sermon series, Tis the Season, and some of you are going, I am so glad. I cannot wait to get into a real Christmas series, and it'll be nice and warm and fuzzy and that kind of thing. But the reality is, we're not just talking about what to do with money in this series. We're talking about what money is doing to us because it has this sneaky impact on us, both personally, relationally, and spiritually in ways that we don't even know. In fact, in week one, we identified the appetite for more, right? And the attitude of pride that has led us into a life of financial pressure and debt and mismanagement of what God has given us. And then last week, we discovered that related to the first two attitudes is the attitude of greed. And we learned that greed is the assumption that everything is for my consumption, and that there's this relationship between our greed and our pride and our lack of discipline or our appetite for more. Now, today we're going to discover the fourth attitude about money. And the thing that you need to understand is all four of these are interrelated. They all work together and they are all weapons of Satan. They're his fiery darts in order to destroy you spiritually, relationally, and emotionally and so the reality is we really need to own these as these are potential things. They, 
that all of us struggle with them, but they're potential things that every one of us are being in a major battle right now with. Because here's what happens. If you just kind of peel back the onion a little bit more, you begin to discover that there's something even deeper than greed and pride and the appetite for more that causes us to have the inability to not practice generosity in the way that we want to practice generosity. And last week, we briefly mentioned it, and and you're going, okay, what's the fourth thing? It's the attitude of fear. See, fear is usually one of the primary barriers that keeps our intentions, I want to be generous, from becoming action I give joyfully and with a cheerful attitude. See, in fact, More than not, fear has a grip on the steering wheel of most of our lives, and it is that fear that has a grip on the steering wheel of most of our lives. In fact, if you listen to news media, you are living in fear. If you're on social media, you're probably living in fear, and that is that fear doesn't just affect us emotionally, but that fear, it limits our ability to know and experience Jesus personally in our own lives. And there's no area where we feel this fear, this tension more strongly than when it comes to our finances, our money. Now, here's what's interesting about this. This is not a new problem. See, around AD 55, there was the second great famine and it hit Jerusalem. And it not only hit Jerusalem, but it hit the surrounding areas of Jerusalem. So what happened is, because they were hit by such a great famine, Christians from like Macedonia and Galatia, they heard about this great famine and how it was impacting the Christians and the, and the region around Jerusalem, and they began to make special plans to give money to those that were impacted by this great famine. Well, the church at Corinth, they jumped on board with these other churches and they said, hey, we promise to contribute as well to this area, this region that's been hit by this hardship. So all these churches, they decided they were going to send some representatives along with the Apostle Paul to deliver this money. Now, these Corinthians, they had the best of intentions to be generous. The problem was, after they promised to be generous, fear reached up, grabbed a hold of the steering wheel of their life and their church, and it began to choke out their generous impulses to bless the churches and the region around Jerusalem. So the Apostle Paul, he had to write them a letter to guide them on how to overcome their fear to be who they wanted to be, cheerful givers, and not miss out on what God wanted to do in and through their lives. So here's part of the advice that the Apostle Paul spoke to them. And we find this, you can follow along your Bibles in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 2, here's what the Apostle Paul says to them. He says, for I know your eagerness to help. Literally, he starts off by saying, man, you have the best intentions. Your heart's in the right place. And, And here's what I know about you as a church. Your eagerness to help. I mean, like, you love doing for. You love being for our community. There's, there's the desire for generosity. Your heart's in the right place. In fact, he goes on, he says, For I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year, you and Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. Literally, he says, you made a promise over a year ago to help these Christians in Jerusalem, and I told all of these Christians up in Greece that you're gonna do this. And remember how excited you were to give? Well, your excitement 
because I was just telling them about your excitement. Your excitement has stirred most of them to action as well. They're going to make a big gift too. So I know your hearts are in the right place. I know that you have the best of intentions. And then in verse three, he goes on, he says, but I am sending the brothers, meaning part of his team, people who are part of his team, in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready, as I said, you would be. And then verse four, here's why. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, why would they be unprepared? Hang on, we'll get there. He says, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, we would be ashamed of having been so confident. In other words, the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, I'm hearing rumors that you're getting scared to come and you're coming up with excuses for why not to be generous. It sounds like that you're talking yourself out of doing what you wanted to do all along. And the Apostle Paul is basically saying, listen, it would be embarrassing if we showed up and you didn't follow through on the generosity that you promised. So in verse 5, he says, so I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. In other words, the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, when we show up, I don't want you to be giving out of obligation. I don't, I don't want that to be happening. I want you to be a generous giver. And we don't want to have to pry the money out of your hands. But he's basically saying, here's what I know. Fear has grabbed a hold of the steering wheel of your heart and it is defeating your good intentions. You want to be a generous church, but fear has left you to wonder, hey, is it really responsible to follow through on this? Is it really responsible to give like this? Now, here's the thing we have to understand. That is the natural fear that raises its head and chokes out our best intentions to be generous in fact, this fear is often the reason that we struggle to be generous because here's why. The problem with generosity is it's in direct conflict with our desire for self-preservation. Don't miss that. The problem with generosity, the reason most of us struggle with generosity is because it's in direct conflict with our desire for self-preservation. Let me help you understand that. See, fear makes you think or wonder. What if I need that money down the road? What if I run out of money in retirement? What if I can't get something I want because I gave money away? What if I can't provide something for my kids that other parents provide for their kids because we were generous? What if I don't have enough because I gave too much money away? So what do you do when the desire for, to be generous and fear collide? What do you do? Here's what I know we do. Most of us, we choose self-preservation. That's why the average Christian only gives 2.5% of their income away, just like the average non-Christian. Because see, we feel responsible for providing for all of our needs because we don't trust God when he says, I, shall, I will supply all your needs. 
And here's what I know. Fear kills generosity every time. And so what we do is we lean into self-preservation and we give from our leftovers. We give when we feel like we have enough that we feel safe financially. Well, the problem with giving from your leftovers is that your generosity can never make its way to the front line because there's always going to be a fear that is going to drive it back. In fact, there was a whole message that God gave the nation of Israel through the prophet Malachi. And God says to the nation of Israel, you can read it sometime, Malachi chapter 1 and chapter 2, and he talks about this. He says, listen. When you give me less than your best, when you give me your leftovers, he says, I will curse your blessings. Think about that. I will curse your blessings because you're giving me the leftovers instead of honoring me with the first fruit. And so the apostle Paul, he understands what happens when we give God leftovers and how it impacts our lives. And we're going to see that, that he understands that even deeper than what most of us understand in just a moment. So the apostle Paul, he introduces them and doing so, he introduces us to saying, hey, here's a new mindset that will help you overcome fear. Notice what he says in the next verse, verse six. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, th- this is such a powerful principle. It's a principle that's powerful in every area of your life. Because this principle, it explains why you are where you are in every area of your life. And it predicts where you're going to be in your life. It doesn't just have to do with money. Like, if you sow sparingly into your marriage, then guess what? You're going to reap sparingly out of your marriage. If you sow sparingly in, in your physical well-being, then you're going to reap sparingly. Sparingly in, in your physical well-being. Does that make sense? I mean, if you sow sparingly in your work effort, that's going to be the kind of result that you get. We, we know this when we stop and think about it. I mean, this is farming 101. If you don't sow much seed, you won't reap much crop. So the question is, what would cause a farmer to sow sparingly? Well, actually, before crop insurance, this was a thing. Some farmers would let fear influence their planting decision. I mean, after all, if I sow all of my seed and we have a flood, I don't have any seed. Or if I use all my seed and there's a drought, then there's going to be no crop to reap and we'll have no seed for the next season. See, by fearing the uncertainty of the future, what they did is they prevented themselves from reaping the reward of an abundant harvest. And the apostle Paul says, that is not just true for farming. That same principle is basically true in every area of your life, even with the generosity that you have as a follower of Jesus Christ. There is this direct correlation between how you give, it's an attitude, and the reply or the return that you get on what you sow. Like the more you sow, the more you reap. Now, you got to understand, when he talks about sowing and reaping, he's not talking about getting more money back. Make sure you understand that. When he talks about sowing and reaping, he's not talking about getting more money back. This is not a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel verse. What the Apostle Paul is talking about when he talks about reaping, don't miss this. This is so important. When the Apostle Paul talks about reaping, and he supports this in these next few verses, He's talking about when you sow generously with your life, it not only impacts your own life, 
It impacts the lives of the people around you. Don't, don't miss this. When he's talking about sowing generously, he's talking about the idea, if you wanna have a great impact with your life, then you need to sow generously in your spiritual, in your relational, in your emotional. You need to lean into this. Because this is about impact. And I believe there's a lot of people who wanna have a great impact for God's kingdom, but they have never entrusted God or they've never trusted God with their resources and saying, God, it's yours. I'm just here to manage it. And here's what I know. And you're gonna see this in just a moment. Like, you can't have a great impact for the kingdom of God if you haven't trusted God with the wealth that he's given you to manage. Now, I just wanna say something. This is good news for a reluctant giver because I know you're uncertain about the future and what it holds, but here's what I want you to understand. If you want the odds to be in your favor, in your favor, reaping a harvest tomorrow, it starts with planting generosity today. Like every choice in your life, it matters because you're always sowing and you're always reaping and you always reap later and greater. My kids, they heard that one time, they heard it a hundred times, they're so... Dad, we're so tired of hearing reaping later and greater. But it's true in every area of your life. If you sow generously in your marriage, later you're gonna reap a harvest that is beyond anything you can imagine in your marriage. If you sow generously in your family, you're gonna reap a harvest that's beyond anything you could ever imagine in your family. Or as Apostle Paul says it in the next verse, he says, each of you, you should give what you have decided in your heart to give not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a, what kind of giver? A cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you. Get this. God is able to bless you abundantly so that, if you underline things in your Bible, underline this, so that in all things, at all times, at all things and all times, at all things, being in your marriage, in your work, in your relationships, in your emotional well-being, in your community that you live, that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, not everything you want, that just makes us selfish, bold brats if we get everything we want, but having everything you need you will, get this, abound in every good work. This is about impact with your life. You will abound in every good work. You will have an abundant impact with your life. See, what the Apostle Paul is referring to here is that when you begin to follow Jesus, you sign up for a countercultural economic system. Jesus puts you on a special compensation plan. So instead of looking out for you first, you look out for others first. And Jesus promises that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, he will take care of you while you do that. It means if you choose to prioritize others by being generous first instead of last, he says, I'll make sure that you get your needs met. See, and every time you do this, every time you trust God, here's what happens. Your relationship with God, it grows a little bit more and a little bit more. You, you learn more about him. 
that you wouldn't have known if you hadn't trusted him in this area. You, you discover things about God that you would not experience any other way. See, that's why a Jesus-guided and a Jesus-modeled money management plan, they are critical to having a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Because here's the thing I know. Our money and our giving are like the most tangible and practice, practical and most powerful expression of trust that most of us will ever make in our relationship with God. So the apostle Paul reminds us, he says, listen, you gotta decide in your heart what you're gonna give. And if you sow sparingly, you're gonna reap sparingly. But when you sow generously, you're gonna reap generously in return. And then the apostle Paul gives us a promise about what happens when you sow wisely and well, because this is all about sowing wisely and well. Notice what verse 10 says. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed. Let's stop right there, because if you go back to last week, remember what the guy who had this abundant harvest did? What did he do? He went out and tore down his barns so he could build bigger barns and store his own seed. And God says, no, 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 that's not what I want you to do. He says, now he, talking about God who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, what will they also do? Supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. There again, it's all about impact. He will enlarge the harvest of your impact. Look, look at verse 11. He says, you will be enriched in one or two ways so that you can occasionally tip a little bit. That's not what he says, is it? Notice what he says here. You will be rich in how many ways? Okay, let's all say this together. All of our campuses, Blunstown, Chipley, Marion, here we go. You will be enriched in every way. Wow. In every way. You'll be enriched in your marriage. You'll be enriched in your physical well-being and you'll be enriched in your, your, your health will be better. That doesn't say you won't be sick. But if you don't take care of yourself, you know, you've got a guarantee of not being, right? So what you sow, you reap. You'll be more enriched in, in your relationships at work. He goes, you're gonna be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on how many occasions? Every occasion. So there's more than one occasion. It's not just about one and done kind of thing. He says, but on every occasion and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. See, some of us, we kind of like to do what we call that seasonal tipping thing where we, we, we are good and generous or we're, we're kind to our neighbors or people that are hurting and, and we love hearing their thanks. But what the apostle Paul is saying to the church at Corinth, he's saying, listen, when you all come together and you all give together and it just blows everybody away with your generosity, he says your generosity will result in what? Thanksgiving to God. It's why we come together every fourth Sunday and say, hey, we're gonna go above and beyond our regular giving because when we all come together and, and give for those in our community and bless people our community, it results in what? Thanksgiving to God for those that we bless. So in other words, your obedience to manage your money, well, it unlocks the door for God's blessing in your life. And you are blessed to be a what? A blessing to others. And here's the thing. 
Whenever you learn to give and you learn to save and then live, and when we say live, we mean live by a spending plan, then you begin to use your money in a significant kind of way, a way that makes an impact. And so what happens is as your generosity grows, it impacts other people and it causes them not to just thank you, but to thank God for providing through you. And I'm telling you from experience and what our church has experienced, that is an incredible thing that you get to experience as a church. Now, here's what I know about most of you at our churches. You wouldn't be here. You wanna be generous, don't you? You want to honor God with your, your finances, with the things that he's blessed you to manage, or, or you wouldn't be here. I mean, this is the third week in this conversation. But the big question is, how do you beat back the fear that is holding you back? How do you get the grip of fear off the steering wheel of your heart? Now, here's what I'll tell you. The answer is simple, but it's not necessarily easy. The answer is, what you do always with fear is you move ahead in spite of your fear. Because see, the only way to overcome fear is to move into the fear. So let me just give you three practical steps, three practical questions that you need to consider to break through the fear of honoring God with your giving, your saving, and your living, live with a spending plan. And you probably wanna go ahead and grab your phones out because we're gonna go through these and take pictures of this or make sure you follow along on the app um, because we go through these pretty quickly, but they're very important. So here's the first question. The first question is this. How do I honor God with my giving? How do I honor God with my giving? Well, for some of you, the way you honor God with your giving, your next step is to make generosity a priority. You need to decide that you're gonna flip your financial decision from putting yourself first, but you're gonna go, no, I'm gonna put other people first. So I'm gonna put other people first before I take care of my own stuff. And here's why we say that, because priority is better than sporadic. It begins to develop a habit. It begins to develop a, a, a routine and a rhythm in your life. And here's why we also say priority is better than sporadic, because the thing is you do not honor God with your leftovers. You don't honor God by saying, hey, if I have anything left over this week, then I'm gonna give it. If I, if I said that to some of you and say, hey, if I have anything left over this week, then, I, then I'm gonna give it, you wouldn't find that honoring. You would find that demeaning. So we always prioritize whatever is important to us. So if generosity is important, and if God's purpose in this world is important to you, then priority is your next step. For others of you, your next step is to make generosity a percentage. See, amounts are not a great measure of generosity. I mean, they can fool us very easily because percentages are better than amounts, and here's why we say that. Just because something has several zeros at the end doesn't mean it's generous. I mean, if somebody gives $5,000 and they're worth a million dollars, that's not the same as somebody who is worth $50,000 and they give $5,000, right? So the amount of zeros doesn't mean it's generous. Generosity is measured by the sacrifice not the sum. As we talked about last week, if, if giving doesn't make you pause and say, no, we can't do that now because we were generous, we're gonna have to do that later or we may never be able to do that because we're gonna be generous. If there's not a sacrifice, as we talked about last week in the illustration with your child having two cookies, if your child had two cookies and the other child didn't, you would want your child to give one of those cookies away. That's 50% of what they have. We want them to make a sacrifice because we understand that when we sacrifice, it begins to break the grip of greed and pride, appetite for more, and even fear in our lives. So here's the thing. For some of you, it's about percentages. 
is your next step. Now, you may be given something, but here's what I can tell you. If it's not a percentage, it means you're probably giving about 2.5%, just about like everybody else in America. Not, not just Christians, but in America. So here's what you need to do. You need to look at this question, making generosity a, a, a percentage, and you need to pray about it and say, God, what is the percentage? Because remember the Apostle Paul said, you need to decide in your heart. You, you don't make the church decide. You don't have other people decide. But every time that you get paid, you have a percentage that you're going to give away. Now, here's the thing that I know. Some of you, you are generous and you have a priority. It's a priority and you have a percentage, but you haven't changed what you have given in years, the amount that you've given. So the thing that you need to do is you need to be progressive with your generosity because progressive is helpful to protect. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, here's the thing. As we gain financial wealth, as you get older and you have more financial margin, what happens is, as our lives and our financial world improves, there is this consistent temptation to get pulled back to focusing on what we want, what we want for our lives. And this one's real interesting when you think about it, because what you'll do is you'll find yourself tempted to reward yourself for all the hard work you've done, all the things that you've earned for yourself. But here's the thing. If you progressively increase the percentage you give, what it does is it protects your heart from fear, from greed, from entitlement, that whole appetite for more. So that is how you break the grip of fear when it comes to giving. So you just need to pray and say, God, you know, what do you want me to do? Do you want, how do, how do I, you know, I want to make this a priority. What percentage do you want me to have? And God, at the right time, I want to become progressive with that. So that's how you honor God. It's his money, so he needs to make the call. So you come before God and you spend time in prayer. The second question you need to ask yourself is, how do I honor God with my savings? Now, this one's fairly easy because it's basically just like giving. So first of all, percentages are better than amounts. So again, pray about it, pick a percentage and say, God, you know, we feel like this is what you're calling us to save and we're gonna put this in savings, and then once we get us emergency fund, emergency fund, then we're gonna start doing the investing thing. And so you, you say percentage are better amount. So pray about that. And the second thing is, is priority is better than sporadic. So the thing what you do is say, okay, after we say, all right, here's our plan for giving, then you say, here's my plan for saving, and you have a consistent plan every month. And which means this, if, if you wanna buy something and it's gonna cause you not to save, then you probably shouldn't buy it. Like don't spend if it's gonna keep you from being able to save. So make that the second priority after giving, which um, you just gotta lean in and this is a hard commitment in America because listen, we don't like to say no to ourselves, right? So don't let spending override savings. And then the third thing is progressive is helpful to protect. So saving again, as you build some wealth and you get some margin, then Saving helps break the fear and the greed and the entitlement. Um, but let me just say this with one warning. It is important to increase, develop some wealth and some savings. But here's the thing. You, you can get to the point where you just get obsessed by saving and investing. And that also can be motivated by fear and greed. So you really need to bring this before God with open hands, right? Now, step three which is question number three. How do I honor God with my spending? Well, first of all, 
you need to spend as a manager, not an owner. Because remember we said that ownership is a what? It's a myth. Like, just don't think because that you're giving and that you're saving, you can just do with what you want to the rest because you've earned it and now you, that's yours to own. No, no. If it's all God's, you should be wise with it and you should honor him and you honor God whenever you develop a budget. You develop this budget. Everybody needs a budget. Whether you have a lot of money or a little money, you need a budget. You need to save and you need to give and then you need to spend with a spending plan and that's a budget. And this helps you avoid debt. This helps you get out of, keeps you from living with all kinds of fear and anxiety about money because here's now you got a plan that's not only get you through the month, but it's gonna help you to minimize the debt and reduce your debt. But here's what happens. When you don't have a debt, when you don't have a budget, you aren't a good manager. It doesn't honor God with his resources because if, if, you, if you didn't have a, you know, if you had a money manager and they did not have a plan for how to take care of that money or manage that money, you would fire them, right? And so we need to have a budget because it helps us to guide and make decisions about our money. And then the third thing you need to do is you need to pray before you purchase. And I don't, when I'm talking about pray before you purchase, we're not talking about every little thing that you purchase because here's the thing. If you have a budget, you've already prayed about that, right? And you've already decided where money's gonna go. But if there is a big purchase that you need to make, the first thing you should do is you should stop and you should pray and say, God, do we need to purchase this? And here's the thing I'm gonna tell you. A lot of times when you stop and pray about something for three, you know, three or four days or maybe a week or two or three weeks, after a while you begin to go, oh, we don't even need that. We don't even really need it. It was just a want, not a need. So the first thing you should do is you pray before you purchase for any big purchase because it's his money. Now, this all comes back to the question that we started week one with, and that is this. What steps do you need to take so that you can give, save, and live on a plan? Like, what do you need to change in your life in order to honor God with the things that he's entrusted you to manage for him? Do you need to start living on a budget? Do you need to live with a plan? Do you need to work on getting out of debt? Do you need to, some of you need to cut up credit cards so there's not an emotional dependence on them. Do you need to cancel some of the subscriptions that you have? You have Netflix and you have you. TV and YouTube TV, you have, you know, you have so many different, I mean, it's like you got all these subscriptions you're paying for. You got Apple stuff and well, you can name it, you know. You need to start enjoying what you have a little bit more. Do you need to be a little less stingy with your family maybe? Do you need to downsize? Do you need to not leave so much to the kids? Maybe you need to be like my dad was. He said, son, when I die, I hope I bounce my last check. So be ready to provide for yourself. Maybe you just need to tell your kids out. I don't know what you're, I don't know what God's gonna tell you to do. And of course, my dad was kidding. But whatever you do, remember, what you sow and how you sow, the attitude you sow with, it's gonna determine what money does for you. And even more than that, it's gonna determine what money does to you. Listen. What steps do you need to take. Now, some of you are sitting here and you're listening going, okay, you're just wanting money from us. That's all you're wanting. Um, let me just tell you something. You don't need to give here at RCC. God has supplied, I've been pastor here for 30 years. God has supplied our needs. So it's not about giving here. But my challenge to you is that you come up with a plan to give, save, and live. And you come up with a plan to be generous. 
and you find some organization, whether it's this church or some other nonprofit that is making an impact for the kingdom of God in this world, and you prioritize that and you make sure that's a percentage and then make that progressive as things get better for you financially. Why? Because it's how you overcome this whole grip that fear has on our life. It's how you break the first three attitudes that we talked about, the appetite for more, that whole entitlement mindset. It's how you break the pride and the greed that we all tend to be tempted with. Because Satan's gonna tempt you with those four attitudes every day. And he's using the world and advertisement and media to lure you into it. And then you decide, hey, I'm gonna work this plan. I'm gonna work this path. And I'm gonna live by that plan. I'm gonna say no to myself. And I can promise you, when you start saying no to yourself, that's how you grow. That's how you know God better. It's the only way to break the grip of these four attitudes in your life. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this incredible opportunity to have spent the last three weeks in a conversation helping us understand what it really means to honor you with the wealth that you've given us to manage. But more importantly, what it means to live in financial freedom. God, I thank you that you love us enough, that you've given us your word. And through your word, you've given us practical application for how to live it out so that we can be free from all these fiery darts that Satan is going to shoot at us on a consistent basis to try to take us out spiritually, emotionally, relationally, financially. So I just pray today that you help each one of us to make the commitment right here, right now. That we're gonna give, we're gonna save, we're gonna live with a spending plan. And I pray that you help us to open our hands before you now to say, God, this is all yours. What do you want me to do with it? What percentage do you want me to give? What percentage do you want me to save? And then God, give us wisdom to spend it wisely and well. God, I just wanna thank you that you promised we do that, that our impact will be beyond anything that we could ever imagine. And more than that, people will give you thanks. In Jesus' name, we give you thanks. Amen. Hey, thanks, everyone. So glad that you've been with us through this series. Can't wait for you to be here next week as we start our Christmas series. You don't wanna miss it. I promise you it's a great series for you to be bringing some of your friends and family members with. See you next Sunday.